With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Pour one more beer for me. Exile needs quality. So savagely. Best beer in all the land. Brewed with a loving hand. From bottle, keg, or can. Exile Brewing. E-X-I-L-E. For me. E-X-I-L-E. Let's drink. Crack open a Zoltan today. Enjoy your HN Podcast coming to you this week from the Exile Brewing Company studios. I'm John Miller along with Steve Dace. And right off the top, I want to say, I mean, Steve, Iowa had an open practice this weekend. Uh, neither of us was at the open practice. Rob Howe from Hawkeye Nation, he and I are going to get together early this week and do a podcast and go over Rob's firsthand on-the-scene observations from it. I would just say that it sounded like Nathan Stanley uh, clearly looked like the number one quarterback out there, and I felt all along he was going to be. Uh, Iowa has a lot of capable running backs. They AJ Epinesa looks like a, an absolute beast out there. Kirk, you know, made sure to tamp down some expectations, saying once he knows what he's doing, uh, he might really have a chance. Which means right now he's just getting by on pure athleticism and advanced uh, development physically and he's been working in with the ones certainly has a place in the twos Matt Nelson and um, oh gosh why can't I think of his name it was just Hesse Parker Hesse played a little bit inside so um, th- those are really the things that I saw more than anything from the, the videos that I watched and the articles that I read but you know, Rob and I are going to get together uh, early this week and, and dive a little bit deeper. I don't know if there's anything you want to add in addition to that. You know, I think I've, I'm pretty confident whether it's since he came to Hawkeye Nation or when he, um, uh, you know, took over for you on the Iowa Scout site. I think I have read this, this Kids Day report from Rob Howe every year he has ever written one, okay? Mm-hmm. Including this one. And they're almost all the same. They have almost all the same storylines, and and I think that goes. That's a testimony to the solidity of you know the program with the most tenured coach in college football at the helm. So it's a very good read. Rob does a really good job. I just don't know, based on my years of experience reading these, that it that it really tells me at all whether this team's going six and six or nine and three. I, I don't think it. I just don't think it, it doesn't answer any of those questions for me. And I told you th- two years ago, I gave up on Iowa open camp panic when we all had the video of Iowa's offensive line getting absolutely embarrassed down after down. I mean, it wasn't just like a highlight reel. We watched this in real time every down, just getting embarrassed. And they went 12 and 0. So at that point, I retired <laughs> from drawing conclusions from Iowa open practices. It is what it is. Yeah, 
Yeah, indeed. So that said, I'm sure you guys will do a great podcast. Yes, we, we're, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I, I think, though, you you really underscore the challenge of trying to draw observations from that open practice. Look, now Iowa has had you know quite a few 12 days of practice under their belt from that point, but it's just really difficult. I mean, uh, Miguel Racinos, the kicker, was 11 for 11. That's really good. Uh, and there's a, a kicker competition too, but. Um, Rob and I will dive into the finer points of that. Steve and I are going to go on the record tonight uh, with our over-under predictions for the Power 5 conferences. We'll be doing that here coming up shortly. Um, but now let's take a, a quick dip around the uh, Big Ten from the Big Ten Network TV tour. Steve, you've been watching each and every one of these. That's what you are paid to do for this HN podcast. Um, before we do that, though, injury news from this last week. Um, Nebraska lost uh, a four-star true freshman receiver for the year. But really, one of the biggest injuries, and, and as you told me in a text of anywhere in the country so far, is Wisconsin linebacker Jack Sitchie is done for the year. He's a senior. He's done. That is a huge loss for a team that was already losing a lot of playmakers on defense, a program that was going to be having their third defensive coordinator in as many years, and Jim Leonard who has never been uh, a coordinator at any level and has only been an assistant coach for one year, and that was last year at Wisconsin. This Wisconsin, um, this, this this flip of the schedule for Wisconsin and everybody diving on them, I'm starting to I'm starting to be more convinced of going the other way. That's just a big loss for them. Well, I've, I've told you throughout the offseason, I just had this hunch that, at, like, like last year, when we looked at that schedule and – Based on what we thought we knew, we all overreacted and thought they'd go a month and a half without winning a game. And it didn't turn out to be as hard of a schedule as we thought. And in fact, arguably Wisconsin's two most impressive games last year were the games they lost to Michigan and Ohio State back to back. And I said this year, I'm wondering, given what they lost, because they didn't lose a lot, but all the guys they lost were the best players in their program, with the exception of Fumagalli. Everybody else, if, if we went through the 2016 Badgers and we said, who are their top seven or eight playmakers? Well, well they got 15 starters coming back. Well, th- well, six of those guys they lost would be on that list of their top seven or eight players a year ago. And they're not Michigan and Ohio State and, and now going on Penn State. They're not a reload program. They are a developmental program. And so those are huge losses for them. And I, I, I've said numerous times in this podcast, I think that just as we overrated last year's schedule, I wonder if we're underrating this year's. And that loss is huge. How good was Jack Sitchie? Last year against Iowa, I think, was either the game he got hurt or he got hurt the next week. And that was the last full game he played. I can't remember which it is. But that was about halfway through the year. I think that was week seven that Iowa and Wisconsin played. He only played half the year. He was honorable mention all Big Ten, John. Played half the season. And, you know, we played them in September when it was when it was T.J. Edwards and T.J. Watt and Jack Sitchie at linebacker on a team that's got 19 guys in NFL training camps. We couldn't move them. Uh, we just we did nothing. I mean, we did nothing an entire game except for one big pass play at the end of the game that Wilton Spate hit to Amara Darbo. That was it. The rest of the game, there was nowhere for our offense to move. And you go back to watch the Iowa game last year. Iowa's defense played more than well enough to win that game. Same exact thing. There was nowhere against that defense to move. 
And you look at now, he was essentially their linchpin player on defense. The entire defense being built around him and that he was going to soften the blow of losing um, some of the guys that they lost because he was almost like an added bonus since he didn't play at the end of the season last year. I think it's a huge loss for Wisconsin. And when you're talking about being a program that, that, that you know, it's similar to what we've said about Iowa. They're going to play a lot of 20 to 17, 24, 21 kind of games. And, and if you don't have that kind of guy there, you bet that makes a difference. And they're not a reload program. They are a developmental program, one that might do it as well developmentally as any program, as any developmental program in college football the last 25 years. But they're still a developmental program. I think that's a huge loss. And it's by far, until arguably some of the suspensions that were announced by Florida today, but right now they're saying that's just one game. But until that moment with, with what went down in Gainesville today, it was by far the biggest preseason loss a team has had so far since camp began, anywhere in the country. Why don't you talk about what went down in Gainesville today? Because Florida and Michigan play right out of the chute. So this has, you know, Big Ten implications, uh, certainly potentially some big bowl game implications. When you lose a game like that, um, it, can, it, can take you, it takes away margin for error. Well, the last month for the Gators has been tough. Right at the end of summer workouts, um, Marcus Harris, uh, their leading returning tackler, uh, by far their best returning defensive player, tore his Achilles, done for the year. So he was going to be the guy that was going to quarterback um, a defense that, you know, like Michigan lost a bunch of starters to the NFL, so did Florida. I think eight of Florida's defensive starters from last year are now in the NFL. Just watched two of them today for my Detroit Lions. They were the Lions' first and second-round draft picks right off of that Florida defense. Well, now today they've announced that seven players, including probably the best player in the program, Antonio Callaway, the receiver, and several other players that factored pretty heavily on their depth chart, have been suspended at least one game for misusing uh, scholarship funds, essentially taking funds that were supposed to go towards um, the cost of attendance and there's been talk of them doing something else to try and make money off of uh, off of that money or misspending it on things other than what it was supposed to be spent on. And um, given that they've already overlooked, I mean, Antonio Calloway is already involved in not one but two Title IX investigations on campus. He had already been busted for a marijuana charge. Clearly, they have been trying to not suspend that kid, <laughs> given who their given who their first op- first opponent is. I think you and I both know if they were playing Florida A and M, and you're and 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 you're the product of two Title IX investigations on campus, you're probably suspended week one, right? Yep. Or remember that remember that year that uh, that um, Ron, Ron Zook and the Florida? Hurricane. Yeah, I was thinking he, of that all day yes. long. He suspended those kids for like the third game of the year. Do you remember that? Well, he suspended them. For uh, the opener and against the scrub. And, yes. and then the opener was postponed because of a hurricane. So what he did, he, he, the, the media was asking him, so are, are you going to suspend him for the next game, which was against somebody good in week two. He's like, no, we just suspended them for this specific game. And yes. he waited till later in the year when the game was made up. And that's, that's right. why he suspended that's the right. players. Yes, I kind of thought about that. So. You, Florida has been do, has been essentially begging Antonio Callaway not to make him uh, suspend, not to make them suspend him, given his antics this off season. But 
this third one was was a bridge too far, especially when it included several other players on the team as well. That that is a big blow. There is no question about that. That is a huge blow to them. Yeah, and for uh, a Michigan team um, who you know lost a lot of talent from last year, that is not going to uh, that's going to be certainly helpful. Let's get to some of these Big Ten Network tours. We'll start with uh, Maryland. I'll read a couple of notes that you sent me, and then you can um, you can go over it. Uh, Jerry Leonardo saying Maryland uh, is too much finesse. Seems doubtful they can compete in the East. Big Ten Network saying they have a couple of good young quarterbacks. They expect Maryland to run uh, Maryland's run defense to be improved. They like Maryland's new facilities, incoming recruiting class, uh, and incoming recruiting class, but worried about the schedule. Those are the three notes you sent me on Maryland. Well, and to be fair to DiNardo, this has been something he's been consistent about since Rich Rod came to the Big Ten. He just does not believe finesse. He just philosophically does not believe in a finesse style, Chip Kelly style, Rich Rod style spread offense just doesn't buy in the big 10 in the big 10 he just doesn't believe it'll work well steve what about urban meyer well urban meyer's had ezekiel elliott carlos hyde they they actually run a power running game out of their spread offense yeah like they did with tim tebow right so there's an element of physicality there and that's actually denardo's big complaint And and i never really thought about it before but i think here he's got a really good point his worry is that even if your offense is really explosive your, it makes your defense soft because that's what they practice against all the time. And so if, if you can't defend the downhill run out of any formation in the Big Ten, you're just not going to be successful in this conference. And I think when you look at how things, how abysmal the defense under, under Rich Rodriguez was at Michigan, when you look at some of the other teams he's talked about, I think there's ample evidence to support yeah. his theory. But it's also the offense that Maryland needed to go to to make themselves as competitive as as quickly as they possibly right. could. I do think that it gives you a glass ceiling. And, and maybe a program like Maryland has a glass ceiling to begin with, given the division that they're in. I think that if you look back through the Big Ten to find uh, an analog, a historic analog, that you could say, well, these guys did it. I think you might talk about the middle of the Joe Tiller tenure at Purdue, when Brock Spack was his defensive coordinator. Those teams played... You know, a little bit of a spread, more more of you know the, the basketball on grass style of offense. But to me, the biggest reason that, that those Purdue teams were successful, say, you know, 2003 when Iowa played against Purdue, lost that game by nine ten points, was because their defense was so good. They had three to four years in there where their defenses were just fantastic. They had phenomenal safeties playing that Tampa Tampa two defense. But it didn't last. It didn't last. And over time, I don't know that it can last when you run an offense like that that puts that much pressure on your defense. Agreed. But I also think that it's a good move for DJ because I I don't think he's coaching there for five or six years. I think that he fits the profile of the young up-and-coming coach that a lot of big-name programs want. Um, he's been an, an elite coordinator at two elite national programs, Florida and Michigan. He's now got DMV recruiting ties there at Maryland as well. If he gets them back to a bowl game, I'm telling you, a lot of uh, whatever the big schools are around the country, like look at Tennessee, for example, they're going to be looking for someone with a pers- personality, someone that knows how to recruit that part of the country. Well, he was the re- national recruiter of the year for rivals as the defensive coordinator at Florida. So I think he's a guy that 
um, understands that even in the best of scenarios, he's the number three team in that division. Um, in the best of case scenario, assuming Sparty doesn't get back up on some level, uh, I don't think he's a lifer there. And so I think this is about building as much of a resume there as he possibly can before moving on. Yeah, and to be the number three team in that division in the best of scenarios, that means you gotta, you're got you getting past, what, Penn State, Michigan, Penn State or Ohio too. State? You're right. I, need, I forgot. I keep forgetting Penn State, and they're all in the same division. So I meant to say number four. Yes. Yeah, and that's there's your ceiling. That's yep. just the reality of it. Um, speaking of Penn State, that would be the next team um, that had a tour this last week from the Big Ten Network as far as a stop. Um, your notes to me, um, the BTN guys are very high on their athleticism. They think they're as talented as Ohio State. They are worried about the mindset coming off a championship with higher expectations. Uh, Chase McSorley isn't very big, what you sent me. BTN crew thinks the defense isn't quite where – Penn State offenses, but believe they are a definite contender to win it again. Also said Penn State had the most impressive practice thus far. And as you mentioned, the BTN guys have already been to Ohio State. Watching that show, I got the sense they were looking for something to be critical about. Because um, you could tell they were very impressed. You could tell. Um, and um, and when I say looking for something, I, I don't mean, I guess, to to not come across as, overtly pro Penn state uh, on the big 10 network. But, and, and I'll give you, give you an example of what I mean. Um, You know, Howard Griffith talked about, um, he was concerned that it was going to take a while for the, for them to develop a pass rush with just their front four without blitzing. And are there some teams in the early schedule in September that could take advantage of that? And right away, Donardo was like, yeah, we don't know the names there, but the athleticism there was really good. So even when they were somewhat critical, the criticism was tempered. You could tell they were very impressed. And again, keep in mind, as you pointed out, they saw Penn State after they saw Ohio State. Uh, Tommy, what's his name? Penn State's backup quarterback. Revson said he thought he'd start from uh, for a lot of the other teams in this league. They were very high on Penn State. And, and the thing that they pointed out about were the teams at mentally, and they said, that's just something you're not going to be able to know from a practice. You just right. don't know that. You just you won't know until you get into the season and those, those, those you know, let down spots or um, do you still have that same chip on the shoulder? And the one thing Donardo pointed out about them that we do need to remember, you know, that when they had against Minnesota at home in midseason when they were 2-2, two and two, and then Iowa came in after that off a bye, and they blitzkrieged Iowa and, and upset Ohio State. And that was sort of when they caught lightning in a bottle. And this time around, there won't be any lightning in a bottle because they've got the bullseye on their back. Are they ready for that? But in terms of personnel, I thought they were more impressed with Penn State than any of the teams they've seen so far. And they just finished the East. Well, it's like Mike Tyson said. Everybody's got a plan to get punched in the mouth, so we'll see how they respond to that. <laughs> Um, Michigan State, you did not send me too many tweets about Michigan State. I They're doing Michigan State and Iowa as a two-hour show together tomorrow. You, you did mention something, though, that yeah. I, that I, that I kind of chuckled at, that um, D'Antonio maybe uh, hinted out there tweeting how this looks like a Michigan State championship team. Donardo, you mean? Yeah, Donardo. Yeah, Donardo tweeted that, that – um, they didn't say much about Sparty because they're not doing the show on them until Monday. 
when they do a two-hour show combined with them in Iowa. Um, but um, he did say that this reminds him of pre-2015 uh, in terms of its makeup and mentality. Uh, you know, Michigan State that contended for championships. And I don't know, man. Maybe that's true. You know, last year those guys told us there was no talent difference between Michigan, Michigan State, and Ohio State that they saw at all. And Sparty went three and nine. I don't know. He's got something for Mark D'Antonio, man. I don't know what it is. Bromance, man crush. And and I say that to take nothing away from what D'Antonio has accomplished on the field has been – as someone who grew up in Michigan, I am well aware of the history of the program. I went to school at Michigan State. A lot of my family went there. I'm well aware of the of its checkered history. I get that. So I say that not wanting to take anything away from what that guy has done there, Mr. D'Antonio, because it's damned impressive. But, I mean, it's fetish level uh, support that he has for that guy. I mean, we, we're beyond man crush. Like, I, I, I don't know if, they're, if they've got interfamily marriage going on. It, it's weird is it- how much he just loves him some Dan. And this is not new. This is, this is something you and I have talked about on this podcast for years. Is it on the level of your man crush for Jimmy? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it'll be it'll be interesting that you know. I, again, like you mentioned, Iowa and Michigan State two hour show Monday night Big Ten Network. Um, maybe maybe that'll be good for Iowa and Michigan State to to share the same night because you know they'll have that compare. I, I don't know how you do a two hour show with two teams and not try to draw some comparisons. Because right. they both play one another in September, so yep. that that might be uh, maybe even more revealing. When I first saw it, I'm like, man, that just sucks. Iowa has to share a night, but it could turn out to provide a little more insight. We'll see. Um, all right, let's die. Is there any other teams that we missed from last week? They also did Michigan over the weekend too. Oh, how could I forget that one? Let me go pull that whole uh, email string up. You know, there's a lot of things you mentioned here. Um, why don't you give me your overview on what you thought they said, unless you want me to read these tweets to jog your memory, and I can. We we can go if if I'll give you what I my overview, and then if there's anything in the tweets that you wanted to, spe- okay. to specifically address that I did okay. not, we can. Okay. I, I went I went into this report fully expecting, because of the way the team has been covered throughout the off season, uh, just too young a year. Away, I fully expected that, and. And as much as I got the sense that when they at, at, during the Penn State show they were looking for areas to look, be more constructively critical to seem le- less um, to seem impartial, I got the sense that they that they were impressed with Michigan in spite of what they expected to see when they got there. One of the interesting things Donardo said that I found that, that was that Michigan, the, you know, everybody talks about these three four-hour practices they have. Well, they have the team has on three different practice fields with different and the coaches are split up so that even bench guys get tons of reps. So, you know, there was this clip that went viral about a month ago from Joel Clyde at Fox, who on Colin Cowherd show said that Michigan, that Jim Harbaugh does the best job of, of teaching the game of any coach in the sport. And people want to know, what did he mean by that? That's what he means is the, the, that these guys, and, and they did this last year too, they, these guys, these young guys from Michigan have had tons 
and tons and tons of practice reps because of these three, four-hour practices and the way they split everything up, where most teams, the ones get most, most of the reps and the twos get what's left and the threes and fours get barely anything. Um, it was very clear that they were very impressed with the overall talent level that Michigan had on the field. I was surprised how positive they were. I was surprised how little criticism um, or cause for concern that they had. And um, I think what it was, I mean, Revson and all three of them made it very clear that they thought Michigan had an extremely athletic team. And Howard Griffith went so far as to say he thought several of the young guys are going to be better than the players that they lost. The practicing on multiple fields is interesting. I wonder how many other programs do that because obviously fall camp is a lot of it's geared towards getting your starters and your number twos ready for the season. But there's also a developmental part of it, I think, early in camp. And if you're not developing younger players, you're, you're missing out on it. So I wonder how many other programs do it to that extent. That's an interesting um, observation. And going through the tweets that you sent to me, one, one stood out um, that uh, Michigan assistant Don Brown said he'd like to play as many as 16 to 18 players on defense against spread teams and saying Donardo saying that Michigan has that type of depth, which is a mouthful considering what they lost on defense from a year ago. It is. And it, it, um, it, it also goes to show though, that the returning starter number for a certain level of program in college football, it's just irrelevant because the way they recruit, how many sub packages they run and how many guys get to play and you know i I pointed this out on on michigan podcast who would you rather have last year chase winovich who was a rotation player and started a couple games when taco charlton was hurt chase winovich ended up last year with six sacks and i think nine tackles for loss now if he had been a starter with those numbers chances are he'd been honorable mention all big 10 at the end of the year now, would you rather have him or would you rather have the guy that started every game for Maryland last year that is counted as a returning starter? John, who would you rather have? It's an easy call. Yeah. It's not even it's not even close. It's not even freaking close. And that's why I think we have to – that's why we got to look a little bit more closely at I, – I think if you're a developmental program like a Wisconsin, which right now their program's ahead of Michigan's in terms of the performance of the last 15 years. I don't think there's even a debatable point about that. But the way that their program has has created that positioning is through development. Harbaugh's creating a program on the likes of which some level, Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson have created, Florida State, where they're getting a different level of, of recruit than most of the rest of the country is. So – the reality is I'd rather have Mo Hurst, Todd McShay just ranked him the number one interior defensive tackle for the 2018 draft. Nobody's counting him as a returning starter. So would you rather have him or the guy that started uh, every de- or the defensive tackle that started every game for Minnesota? Who would you rather have? Yeah. That, that's why you got to look a little bit more closely at that number than that. All right, let's move on to our over-under predictions for this year. I've already made all of mine in advance of this, so I'll be filling yours in, and then we can have a a tally board here in four months when college football season's over. And it begins, what, in 20 20 days from right now. 
All right, let's let's just start out with um, the Big Twelve. And these numbers were set by Bovada. And this is from um, middle to late June, an article that we bookmarked to do this exercise. So that is where this comes from. And you cannot take a push as many times as I would have liked to take a push. You cannot take a push. You have to go over or under. And also, best bet for each conference. And again, I have those already made. Big 12, let's start there. Oklahoma, nine and a half. I am taking the under. I think they'll go nine and three. Right from the outset, I want to say I think this is the best Vegas has done in over unders since you and I have started doing this. Which, Co- means, which means you had a hard time doing it. Yes, and the reason why is so many of their over unders are exactly how I peg the record of that team. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> Vegas, you know, you're, you're so smart, Vegas, because you see it exactly the way I do. Or I'm, I was, looking, I was Vegas, thinking the other way is, around. That is all-star okay? level humble brag. <laughs> you give me too much credit. I was thinking the other way around. I'm oh, like, okay, okay. Crap. I was thinking my preview must be good this year because I've been thinking the way they're thinking. I had it the other way around. Okay, okay. But I'll, but, but I'll go with that humble brag. I'll own that. That's okay. Yeah, roll with um, it. I, I'm gonna take. Even though I have Oklahoma pegged, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to go with my preseason pick. The odds tell me there's probably a better chance they go ten two than nine and three, but I have nine and three in my preview, so I will go under the nine and a half. But it's a shaky prediction. Shaky. Oklahoma State at nine, and this is my best bet in the Big Twelve. I'm taking the over. I'm with you on the over. I mean, I, I, I think they're going to be in the college football playoff. They won't be my best bet, but they're close. I'm with you. I, I'm, I'm, I'm on the over, too. Baylor, 7.5. I just can't imagine them wading through that cesspool of muck they have off the field there. I'm taking the under. I'm concerned because that doesn't look close to right to me. They won six games in the regular season last year. A new coach, totally different style. Um, minus, you know, the 2016 recruiting class that got decimated by losses because of the coaching change, that just looks like an easy under, okay? But since since I know that's probably a trap, but I can't in my mind foresee Baylor going eight and four, I'm going to take the under. But that num- but that number scares me, John, because it looks way out of whack, way out of whack. I mean, if Baylor's seven and five, Matt Rule ought to be Big Twelve Coach of the Year. TCU, seven and a half. I've really lost touch with that program, and I think that they've lost their momentum. I'm going under. I think I have them right at seven and five. Um, So I will take the under as well. Sneaky, tough road game in the non-conference at Arkansas. And you do get the sense that maybe their momentum is stalled. Gary Patterson... After struggling, you know, first coming into the Big 12, reinvented his program with Sonny Cumbie and that explosive offense that they had. But now the rest of the league is kind of caught up to that, too. So you do get the sense they've stalled out. But you and I are now that we're both thinking that they're probably going to go like nine and three. (laughs) Kansas State eight even is the number. And I kind of like eight and four. But if I've got to go nine and three or seven and five, I'm going nine and three. I'm taking the over. 
Yeah, I'm, I think this is an easy overcall only because if you have to take one. Like, I have him going 9-3, and three, but if, if you know Bill Snyder's history, there's a lot better chance they're going 9-3 and three than 7-5. and five. So if you have to pick one of these, the over is the easy gut call to make. Texas, 7.5. I'm not gaga 9-3 and three, probably like you are, but I think that they'll win 8, and I will take the over. This is my best bet right here. I've been on this. You know what? I've got to continue. You know what? Take a drink. I'm going to mention yet again this week. Average first-year improvement for a team that has Tom Herman as its coordinator or head coach in his career has been 4.3 wins. And I love when they're playing USC, man. In fact, I listened to the USC camp report on Sirius XM and – and Rick Neuheisel talked about how impressed he was with USC's athleticism, but he kept saying they look like a lean team to me. He said, I worry about a team if, if they were to, they're not going to face too many of these in the Pac-12, but a team in, the, in a bowl game, for example, I mean, other than Stanford, physically, that, you know, can they still line up at the line of scrimmage? Well, Texas has a bye. USC plays Stanford, who's a mauling style of team. They play him at the perfect time. I'm, this is my over best bet. I think Texas is going to end up in the Big 12 championship game. West Virginia at seven. I'm taking the under. Man, I think that's right on the money. I, I think Will Greer and Justin Crawford are going to be the, the Big 12's version of Justin Jackson and, and Clayton Thorson, meaning you can't name any other players on their team other than those two guys. But those two guys together are have you in a game every single week. Don't forget how good Will Greer was at Florida before the PED scandal, and he got kicked out of school. And I think he's perfect for Dana Holgerson's offense, but the schedule, man, is tough. I'll, I'll go over only because we haven't disagreed enough yet. Okay. But I think it's seven and five. All right. Well, from that standpoint, what you just said, and I was already going to start doing this, but since you just made a pick like that, you can now. I know you don't like that. That's you why can I now that. give your picks first. <laughs> you know how to piss me off, don't you? <laughs> I know you don't like it. That's why I did that. I don't like it. And since I've already got all mine made, you're going first now. Iowa State, five and a half. I've got them five and seven. I'm going to take the over only because that's, that, that is a high total for a team that traditionally gets undervalued by Vegas because they don't have any national perception. So they're begging, they're begging you to take the under. Yeah, th- this reminds me of last year when you and I did this last year and Wake Forest was at five and a half. Do you remember this? No. Yeah, Wake Forest at five and a half. Like, no freaking way. They suck. Yeah, they won a bowl game. Um, they so uh, <laughs> we were wrong. And this uh, this kind of reminds me of that. Another team that you know, if because if I was doing it based on the way Vegas looks at Iowa State, it'd be four, four and a half. So I'm going to take the over, only because I think that number is they're begging you to take the under. Uh, Texas Tech five and a half. Under. I have the over on that one, six and six. Kansas at three. I think that's right on the money. Um, 
I think there's a better chance they'll go two and ten than four and eight. So I'll take the under. Yeah, I took the under as well, and you should do that when taking Kansas. This is a good spot for a sponsor break. Steve and I'll be right back after this message from Exile Brewing Company. Folks, Exile Brewing Company wants me to tell you about a big party they're going to have. Their five-year anniversary street party that's coming up on September 16th. Plenty of beer and fun will be had, as well as live sets by some very talented bands. Tickets on sale now, $20 in advance, $25 at the door. During that fifth anniversary party on September 16th, the brew pub is going to be closed for regular service. Entry to the fifth anniversary street party, grounds, beer hall, patio, and annex bars will be only for those who have tickets. Tickets must be purchased in advance for $20 or at the door for $25. Cheers to five years, and here's to five more. Okay, we are back. We're about 35 minutes into this. We don't need to save the Big Ten till the end. Let's go to it right now. Uh, Ohio State, 10 and a half is their number. What say you? I have them going 11 and one. I, I, I... I'm going to take the over. Um, that's one. That's that's one of the. I think that might be the highest over under win total they've had. No, no, that's that's not true. They were they were ten and a half a couple of years ago when they brought all those guys back from the national championship game. A couple sneaky road games like at Nebraska, but man, I just I I just I think there's only three teams on their schedule that physically match up. And two of them, they get at home. So uh, I'm going over. I also have the over 11 and 1. I mean, I was trying to look for 10 and 2, but I just, given their schedule, I, I'm not seeing it. Uh, Wisconsin at 9.5. I'd have been under even before the Jack Sitchie injury. I, I did, cause I, I've got a 9 and 3 already. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm doubling down on that now that you're talking about losing arguably the best football player in the entire program. I also have the under for Wisconsin, uh, nine and three. Penn State at nine and a half. I have them ten and two, so I'll take the over. Um, I do wonder about a coach and a program that's just never had this level of expectation before. But I'm 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 looking at teams on their schedule that I think even if you play really good defense, can you score 24, 28 points? Okay. And there just aren't that many of those teams. There just aren't, you know, so I'll take the over. I think they're probably going to go 10 and two. I also have the over and and all the talk about them and how they handle expectations is really, it's interesting to me because you look at the players dotting this roster, the players that are going to play, the players that emerged last year, look at the head coach you know, when he got there, you know, it was, you know, there was still a lot of heat there from the fallout from the Jerry Sandusky um, and all of that stuff. And these players had to deal with it. And last year they broke through. And from the, I'm not talking about my opinion on whether or not Penn State fans should be allowed to feel good or any of that stuff. I, I can't stand their program. I want to see them lose every game. But looking at it objectively, I think a lot of these players maybe feel like the sun is out now. And that could be a concern, for sure, how they handle now being the marked men when it was them against the world for a number of years. 
And now they've broken through, and a lot of people are shining sun on them all the time. It's a totally different mindset. Michigan. Well, and you will look at, but look at their early schedule though, because that's when that's really going to matter. Is early on, right? Okay, early on. Okay, Pitt comes to their place. Can they strike transfer quarterback gold again with a cast off from another school like they did with Nathan Peterman? Can they do it with Max Brown? Well, they don't have Matt Canada as the offensive coordinator now. They don't have James Conner now. Look at Iowa. Now, Iowa, every year, you know, they're going to beat somebody they should not beat. But that's still, you know, that's early in the season, still with a young quarterback. I'd feel more confident that would be an upset spot for Iowa if that game was maybe a month or so later. So when they start getting into Big Ten play and you can start smelling a championship, that's where I think that that expectation stuff doesn't matter as much. I think it matters a lot more early in the year. And then if you suffer a loss or two early in the year, that's when it then inf- impacts you the rest of the season. You know what I mean? But tell me who that loss is right. in the first three to four weeks that sort of creates that negative momentum. I don't see it. Yeah, I mean, Iowa probably has the best chance, and I'm certainly not picking Iowa to win that game. Uh, Michigan at nine. I have the under. Oh, I think there's a much better chance they'll be ten and two than eight and four. Much better. Although I could see nine. I, I, you know, nine and I think three, nine is, and three number, is a pretty good prediction. Yeah, nine and three would be like you know kind of my cluster pick for Michigan. But uh, I'm gonna take the I'm gonna take the under. Okay, you've got I, the over. I think it's the same thing with Bill Snyder. It's a it, there's a much better chance Jim Harbaugh is gonna go ten and two than eight and four on any team he coaches. Same thing with Bill Snyder. Conversation we just had about him. Much better chance he's going nine and three than seven and five. Northwestern at eight. I have them over. Agreed. I have them at nine and three. Um, I think they're over as well. I agree. Minnesota seven and a half. This is my best bet. What do you have? You got you. You think I'm they're not, under I'm seven not, and a half? I, I, well, I wasn't going to tell you, but yeah, I do think they're under seven and a half. See, I've got him right at seven. And, man, I can't get enough of this P.J. Flex show. I'm so in. I, I didn't even want to ask I'm, you I'm about that. I'm all the way in. Is, is, all... that, is that the show where, they, where he has a, uh, a, a, a fake Floyd of Rosedale statue in his office? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't noticed that. That son of a I'm... <laughs> I'm in. I'm so in. I mean, I'm, like, totally in. Okay? Totally in. I'll go under because I think there's a better chance they go seven and five than eight and four. That's all. Iowa six and a half. I picked them six and six. I'm going under. So am I. I have them six and six as well. We agree on this, this one is, again. This is this is the most resistance I've ever had to hoctimism in my entire life. By now, and I gotta give you. I gotta give you props because <laughs> I, I mean, how many years? I'm never picking them to win at Ames again. Then I am, right? Yep. This is, you can tell you're getting older and crankier now. <laughs> You can tell the vermin down there in Oklahoma you've had to dispatch and kill have, have, have hardened and coarsened you because this is the longest you have held off the hoctimism in all the years I've known you, my friend. There's no doubt. I mean, I went and picked up goats today in a minivan. I mean, I'm freaking OG right about now. So, <laughs> What you need to do is go to an come up here for an open practice. No, and that's then the thing. We'll get on the podcast, and you'll be like, you know, I've got a, I just sensed a quiet, quiet sense, sense of confidence, no doubt about it. <laughs> the, the, the more distance I have, the more oh, objective I, I can James be. Abel. 
Oh, I, I miss Jim's. I know. I, I do too. That was uh... especially during the state fair time, doing shows with him where he's hacking up a lung in the Crystal Studios. Halfway through the show, he gets up. He goes, "Hey, Dace, I got to go. My cab's out front." Well, Jimmy got a sports report. Although you have somebody else to do it. Yeah. Why don't we just would just call his own shot? Walk out, walk in whenever he wanted to. That was the life, man. Yeah, right. Yeah, and he had that uh, golf cart to take him there. You know, yes. The the state fair. I almost on Friday threw the girls in the car and drove up. I mean, I missed the state fair um, quite a bit. And I think it's just the nostalgia of my kids being younger and how much fun we had there. Because I'm sure after I would have been there for an hour, I said, why the hell did I do this? Let's go to Adventureland. <laughs> but um, it, it may be one of the most surreal experiences of my entire life, and, and maybe will be for the rest of my life, was that, you know, the first year that WHO, I was the the new sports director there, and Jim was still sports director emeritus, and WHO printed out these cards that had my photo on them, um, or I, actually Iowa might have done that, the University of Iowa, because I sat with Jim at the University of Iowa booth uh, one two hour shift. And I just had pictures of myself, and they gave me a Sharpie, and I was to sign autographs. One of the more uncomfortable things I've ever had to do is sitting next to Jim Zobel with a stack of John Miller picture cards while people are coming up to ask Jim for his autograph, and people are wondering, who the hell's this guy? And rightfully so. But it was just, it was one of those, what, how the hell did I get here? Yep. moments of my life sitting there next to Jim and I still have a stack of those cards in a box somewhere which should tell you there wasn't a long line for the John Miller line and it was all about Jim and it should be and by the way Jim they didn't Jim did not use the sharpies that I was supplied Jim would always wear a sports coat and tucked inside the 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 pocket of his sports coat was always a sharpie because he always had people coming up to ask him for his autograph, and he never wanted to, dis- to disappoint anybody. And seeing him be Jim Zobel in a setting like that, though, that's my favorite memory of Jim, because he loved nothing more at that stage of life than being Jim Zobel. You know, he used to call me uh, from Arizona when I after I made the move to HO. After I made made, made the move to HO. Some people may forget the last thing I ever did at KXNO is I did a series of remembrances with him. Do you remember those? We did mm-hmm. a series of interviews of going down memory lane with him. That was like the last big thing I did at KXNO before I moved over to HO. And before he found out that you did that Iowa lobotomy on post sound off one time on HO, otherwise he never would have given you time again. <laughs> That's true. But let me tell you this though, he for years after I made the move to HO. He would at least once a year call me from Arizona before I would go on the air and tell me, hey, you know, I'm an old 60s Kennedy liberal, but you really do a great show. I'm really proud of you. You're doing a great job upholding the legacy of WHO. Just he would do that at least once a year. Mm-hmm. He would do that. And I'm glad you told the story about signing autographs at HO because I didn't know that was part of my job when I got switched over there. And they were all like, oh, yeah, you're new here. And this is your first year, so there's going to be a line of people waiting to, waiting to meet you. And I thought, there's no way. Sure enough, I show up for my first day at the state fair, and there was a line. Very, And so this it's crowded. It's 100 degrees outside, so everybody's crowd, crowded in the Crystal Studios as well to get some AC. And it's my first day. I'm about to sign my first autograph. This place is packed. 
And this old woman walks up. And she's like, oh, I love WHO. I listen every day out on the farm. I don't ever, we don't ever turn it off. I've been listening to it since I was a little girl. She starts naming off everybody that's been there for years, you know. And I'm like, thank you very much. Appreciate it. She turns around and walks away. Then she takes a couple, or she turns, takes a couple steps, walk away, and she comes back. And she goes, hey, I just have one question. I said, sure. She goes, who's that new guy you have on in the afternoons? <laughs> she goes, he is terrible. <laughs> and the full room just freezes right and every i can feel like everybody now looking at me and um and i looked at her and i didn't know what to say and i'm like you know what i can't stand that guy he's terrible i agree with you <laughs> and she stops and she, you can tell she, the gears are grinding in her head she's putting two and two together recognizing my voice and she goes you're him ain't you <laughs> and I said, um, yes, ma'am. She said, well, well, you've got issues. And she turned around and walked away, and I said, yes, ma'am. I'm, and I'm trying to work them out every afternoon yeah. from 4 yeah. to 7 p.m. She stuck to, She stuck to her guns. Now, for yes. me, one of my all-time, well, a, a few all-time State Fair moments, and this is only apropos oh, State I know Fair what's is going coming. on. I know what's coming. One is what's just the, the, the hearing you complain about – Having to walk from the parking lot to the Crystal Studios, <laughs> that was always funny. Just, just you loathed your time at the fair. Let's be honest. I did. You couldn't stand it. I did. It, I loathed it. Yes. And, and 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 you made sure to let people know about it, and it would make me yep. laugh just to hear you. I, I did. Didn't you like some one year finally score a ride in a golf cart to the studio from yes. the parking lot? Yes. Yes. Yeah, after they knew they weren't going to can you, they they arranged that for you, uh, and probably after Jim was already sequestered permanently in Arizona, so the golf cart was free. But that that pales in comparison to the to the Bring cherry, it on. to the cherry on top moment. I know, I know. Come on now. Yep. You brought me in to talk Hawks for uh, one of your shows. You were just killing time. Let's bring John in. I got you know get my ghetto pass here. And so we're sitting there in the Crystal Studios, and you know most of you probably at least walk by and you see it's a it's a permanent building that's WHOs and it's got you know big you know floor to ceiling windows so you're really like in a little bubble. It's really weird. You're like a you're like a, a hamster in a cage and people are just standing there looking at you. And so we're talking, and I'm talking to sitting there with my buddy Steve Dace, and I look out the window. And there's a pair of bros just standing there staring in, which, you know, <laughs> generally is, is normal because you just get people sitting there. Sta it's one of the most weird off-putting sensations anyway, but only to compound the weirdness and off-putting aspects of it is these uh -huh. two bros are standing there holding sacks with all the freebies you get to fair and they're wearing shirts that have Steve Dace's face on the shirts, two to three feet of screen printed Dace staring at me. And I'm looking over talking to Dace and these guys are out the window wearing Dace shirts. And it's like when you turn a video camera plugged into a TV and you point it at the TV. It's infinity and it's a weird deal. And I'm looking over at these dudes saying, this is something's going to blow up right about now. You don't do this. What's in their bags? Or do we have incendiary devices in there? 
I was really uncomfortable with that. And that was that was you most indelible. That wasn't your face. It <laughs> <laughs> was mine. I remember bringing this up on our morning show the day after we did that. And you were really uncomfortable with me doing that because you still had to march out back to the Crystal Studios the next yeah. day. And you were worried yes. that they were listening. You're like, no, nah, they're probably a couple of really good dudes, John. And you were you were really trying to play it cool because you might have had to run into those guys again. But I didn't have to. I mean, I'm down at the butt tent. They're not going to go down the freaking butt tent because it's 98 degrees, 100 percent humidity. And you're not going to go down there. You're down there in the air condition. But that was weird, man. You got to be honest now. All these years later and you're not going down there again, that was odd. It's one of the weirdest moments ever. And in my career, doing shows down there, I love talking to crowds. Public speaking, I enjoy doing that more than my own show because I can engage the audience directly and I can tell if what I'm saying tracks them or if I need to change where I'm going. You know what I'm saying? So I love public speaking, but that's not what the state fair shows were. The state fair shows were other people watching you talk to other people. It was like having your own phone conversations listened in on. You know what I mean? It's, that's what made it unnerving. People standing around watching you talk to other people. Well, now here, here are these watching two guys. Watching you were talk watch- and watching you rock back yes, and forth. Yes, watching me talk and watching me rock to other people while wearing me. Just added an extra layer of weird, <laughs> and one of one of my other one of my other favorite stories of uh, of uh, the state fair is I had this long running feud with Mike Gronstall, the old Democratic state senate majority oh, leader. Yeah, and and I used to call him Governor Gronstall because he basically ran the state, and that really pissed me off. And one day, one one week, he was on he was on Iowa Press here on uh, on IPTV, and Dean Borg, the host accidentally introduced him as Governor Gronstall oh, and then corrected himself. Wonderful. And Gronstall gets this look on his face with this sly smile. Okay, it's hilarious. I kept that clip. It's so good. Well, shortly after that happened, um, this was my last year at HO. And I look out, and there's this crowd of people pounding on the windows at the Crystal Studios, which happened every day. Most of the time, I would ignore them so I could do my show. But they kept pounding and pounding and pounding. Finally, I looked over. And sure enough, it's Mike Gronstall and his family. And and Mike Gronstall's chief of staff, who's like 6'9", um, he, 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 I can see him mouthing the words, it's Mike Gronstall. Like, I don't know who he is, okay? And right then and there, I don't even remember what I was talking about. I stopped the entire show because we had breaking news, and I wanted to let the audience know that Governor Gronstall was now here on the premises at the Crystal Studios, and man, did he get quite... He, he got a nice chuckle out of that. So that was another one of my favorite moments at the Iowa State Yeah, Fair. and he looked like Stephen King, so that would have freaked me out, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you know, these moments, these moments are a lot more fun recounting them not being there. Right. Than, in, than being there at the time. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. And and it's fun to bring them up because, man, it, that's those are fun times now. Um, Nebraska, over-under number of seven, what do you say? I think it's a lot a lot better chance they're six and six than eight and four. I'm going under. I also have the under. Indiana at six. This is my best bet. Only because I think most of the other over-unders in this league are dead on the money, the total. So in my prediction, since I have Indiana two games better than this, 
I will go over. Although I got to tell you, yep. Jerry DiNardo pulled a Gary Dolphin on me at the, mm. at, in, in, the, in the Big Ten <laughs> Indiana show. You know what I'm saying? Where he talked me out of Remember that year that I was picking Iowa to win the Big Ten and Dolph talked me out of it? You remember yes, that? Yes, I do. Okay. DiNardo, the former Hoosier coach, basically, it's like he was talking to me. It's like he was looking at me that whole show. Dace, they're not going eight and four days. Trust me, you know what you're talking about. But since I almost have every other team in this league um, at, at their total. Actually, no, I take it back. My, my best bet on the board is still in the league. I forgot that. So this is not Indiana. It's not my best bet, but I am going over Indiana. I forgot. My best bet on the board is still in the league. My bad. Michigan State, six and a half. I think there's a better chance they're five and seven than um, than seven and five yep. or six and six than seven and five. So I'm going under there as well. Yeah, by the way, I take the under on Indiana. I'm taking the under on Michigan State. Illinois at three and a half. I think there's a better – I'm not trying to be simplistic here, but I, I just think there's a better chance they're three and nine than four and eight, John. So I'm taking the under. As am I, Maryland three and a half. This is the best bet. I've had to look at this nine, ten times to make sure it's not a misprint. Even if you think there's no way they're going six and six again, you mean to tell me with another year to recruit, you think he's going to go three and nine? I just don't see that. I, I just, I can't, I can't possibly see that. So I'm taking the over, and this is my best bet. Yeah, all those things you said makes it almost a certainty they go three and nine. Rutgers at three. I know, I know. As soon as I, that's why I pause at the end because I, I know when we do this show again in four months, I'm going to say to John, just like you always tell me, I'm never picking Iowa to win at Ames ever again, and you will. This is where I, in four months from now, you know what? Next year, I'm just going to do. I'm going to listen to these guys. I won't. I won't. But I'm going to say that four months from now. Rutgers at three. I have the over. Although three, uh, three seems really good. I, I've got three and nine, so I'll go under. And Purdue at two and a half. I'm taking the under. I'll go over because I have three and nine. Okay. We are almost an hour into this, so um, we've got four, three more conferences to go, so we can skip the I'm taking X only because I think there's a better chance of them doing Y than Z. Um, All right. Clemson. I'll only give a reason from now on if I have a good one. How's yes, that? there you go. Clemson, right. and that wasn't a criticism of you. Clemson at nine and a half, I've got the under. I'm under. I have them nine and three. Nine and a half for Florida State? I'll take the over. I will take the over as well, although I think they're going to lose two games, but I think they're clearly the best team in the ACC. Louisville at nine and a half, returning Heisman Trophy winner. I've got the under. This is my best bet in the ACC. I like their team a lot. But I, I, they're, they're, they play Florida State, NC State, and Clemson. I think those are two of those teams. I think are top ten, twelve teams. I think a third is a top twenty-five team. They're at in-state rival Kentucky. So you mean to tell me they've got to win ten games to hit the un- over? I'm going under, and that's my best bet in the ACC. Indeed, um, Miami at nine. I'm taking the under. I'm with you. I think nine is what they'll do. But I think there's a much better – well, we, I promised I wouldn't do that again. That's all right. I'm with you. It's all right. You know, Brad Kaya back, different story. Uh, Virginia Tech at nine. This is my best bet on the under. I'm with you again on the under. Uh, they'll play great defense or at least solid to great. They always do. But um, I, I, what, I think the best week one game no one's talking about, West Virginia, Virginia Tech. I think that's going to be fascinating. 
North Carolina at seven. I've got the under. Man, I think that's right on the money. But I'll take the uh, I'll, I'm going to take the under as well because I think I have them at six and six. Only because you feel there's a better chance of them going six and six than eight and four. Yes. <laughs> NC State seven and a half. Man, I'm on the under train here in the ACC. Under. I'm on the over. Yeah, I knew you. Uh, I think they, I, I've liked this team all along. I think they start off beating South Carolina uh, week one, and uh, I think they're an eight and four, nine and three team. Pittsburgh at seven. You already talked about the replacements they have to make, which seems like a good recipe for the under, which I did take. Schedule's tough too, man. Schedule is really before they get to the ACC, they'll play Penn State and Oklahoma State. John, come on now, okay? Where where even if you even if you think those teams are under or overrated, Pitt's going to have to score thirty five points in each of those two games to win them. Okay, under. Georgia Tech six and a half. I almost went over just because of their style, but I'm going to take the under. Well. Let me see. Paul Johnson, two years ago, was supposed to be good. They sucked. Last year, they weren't supposed to be any good. They won nine games. You know what that means? Under. That, that seems to be their MO every other year, right? That seems to be what they do. Virginia at five. I'll take the over. I really like Bronco Mendenhall. I'd like to take the over, but I'm not. I'm going under. Wake Forest, five and a half. Under. I'm taking under as well. The loss of that defensive coordinator to Notre Dame was a huge loss for their program. Duke five and a half under. Um, agreed again. I, I get the sense David Cutcliffe's program has, is similar to what we said earlier about Gary Patterson. They should have taken the money and run. Boston College at four. I'm taking the over. You know, I'm playing NCAA football 2014, the last edition. Yeah, let's hear it. But but with the 2017 rosters. Mm-hmm. And I've gone through all the rosters and all the player scoring and everything. It's all up to date. And, man, it really likes Boston College because of that defense. But I go back to the fact before Don Brown came to Michigan, they had the number one total defense in the country, and they went 3-9. and nine. So I'm going under. And last in the ACC, Syracuse at 4.5. I'm taking the under. I'll go under because I have them at – no, actually I'm going over. I have them at 5-7. and seven. Okay. Moving down to the Pac-12, USC at nine and a half. I'm going under. I think they're a nine and three team. I think they're a nine and three team as well. Another tough schedule for them. I agree. Washington at ten. Man, this is. I already wrote it down over, but I just realized that means they have to go eleven and one, and I should have taken the under, but I've got over. Well, I have them right at ten and two, so I will play the odds at nine and three, but I don't see a third loss. And I don't see 11 wins, you know, so I, I'm not confident on this pick at all. Yeah, I mean, so how much action are you going to get on this when it, this team seems like such a solid 10-2? and two? I would totally pass on that one. Not even Agreed. Playing. I agree. Stanford at 8.5. I'm, I'm, I'm taking the over just on their legacy. I have them at 9-3, and three, but we still don't know the status of Keller Christ, a quarterback. So I'll take the over because of their legacy as well, because that's what I have in my preseason prediction. This, but I'm concerned. I'm concerned at the way that's trending right now. I already have written John and Steve best bet for Colorado, seven and a yep. half and an under. Yeah, my two best bets in the country. My best over bet is Maryland. And this is my best under bet, not just in the Pac-12, but in the sport. Under, under, under. 
seven and a half. Oregon at eight. I'm taking the. Hey, by the way, do you see that story about Mike McIntyre? He got he got fined a hundred large um, for letting his one of his defensive assistant coaches, who got charged for beating up his girlfriend, letting him coach in the bowl game. Hmm. Well, now the story comes out from Sports Illustrated this week that he did not even report the incident to the university. Nice. Why the hell is he still the coach? Right. Especially out there. Yep. Um, Oregon at eight. I'm taking the under. This is where a conservative like me says, "Come." this is where I'm counting on you guys being politically correct liberals for once. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, Oregon under, even though I, because it's eight and I have to go in eight and four. So that means I don't think they can do better than that. UCLA at six and a half. I think they're seven and five. I'll take the over. I'll take the over too, but gosh, I'm I'm anxious for Josh Rosen to stop being relevant. Washington State seven and a half under. Over. I'm a Mike Leach guy. Love him. I love his shtick. I love his act, and he's a hell of a football coach. Yeah, it's probably not even an act. Oregon State five and a half under. That's what makes it even better. <laughs> uh huh. Under for me at Oregon State five and a half. I think I think they're good. I, I think that's similar to Iowa State's over under, where they're baiting you there a little bit. So I'm going over. I think they can get to six wins. Utah State. I think, I, think, I think they can beat Minnesota at home in September. That's a tough cross-country trip for the Gophers. And, and I think that helps get them to six wins. Utah, six and a half. I'm going over. I'll go over, too, but that's a low total. Mm-hmm. And here's a stat that will blow a lot of people away. Everybody knows Michigan has more players in camps right now from last year than any other team. Do you know who's number two? Utah. I'm going to guess Utah. Utah is. In fact, all of Utah's starting offensive line and a guy who got hurt early in the year and didn't play. So their top six offensive linemen are, were all drafted. Now, it's one thing to ask Harbaugh to replace all those players, given the way he's recruiting, but Utah is a developmental program. That's a lot of losses to overcome in one year. Arizona State, five. I'm taking the over. I think they're 6-16. Six and 16. I, I think they're going to pull an upset or two i'm with you on that i've got them at seven and five actually arizona five and a half no i'll take the under i'm under with arizona i've got them four and eight and cal at three and a half i'm taking the under i'm taking the under as well i have them at three and nine all right sec and then two independents and we are done alabama ten and a half i'm taking the over i have them 11 and one i have them only losing to auburn on the road so and over. auburn eight and a half you probably have the same i'm taking the over uh yes in fact that's my sec best bet is Auburn over the total. Okay, write that down. Um, Georgia, eight and a half. I'm going to go under. Close call between them and Auburn for my best bet in the SEC. I think Georgia's easily over the eight and a half. LSU at nine, give me the under. With you. Too tough a schedule. They still have a Purdue cast off at quarterback who's coming off, quote unquote, minor back, back surgery. surgery. Yeah. Florida at eight. I'm going to take the under. I would have said this is a pretty easy over bet. Um, I'll still take the over. But I worry about when, when, you, when your season starts off with your best defensive player blows out his Achilles before you even get to camp, seven guys decide they're essentially going to practice credit card fraud on the university's dime. You got to start wondering about if it's sometimes it's just not your year when that stuff starts happening to you. Tennessee seven and a half. They'll probably surprise this year, but I'm gonna take the under. I have them going eight and four, so I'll take the over, but I'm not all that confident about it. 
Texas A&M, seven. I'll go over. Under. I have them going six and six. Kentucky at seven, under. I have them at six and six, so I'm under. By the way, Kentucky has not lost fewer than five games in a season since 1985, John. Hmm. Arkansas at seven. I think they'll go eight and four. I'll go over. I have them right at seven and five, so I'll take the under. But I'd like to be over because, you know, I like Brett Bielema, even though he blocks me on Twitter. <laughs> Missouri at six and a half under. That number is wow. Yeah, it's like it. Wow. It, yeah, that's a high number for them. All right, so I should take the over. You should. Just because they're begging me to take the under. But I, I'm going to go with what I have officially picked because of the dude code. Okay? I have them going 4 and 8, so I will take the under. But man, if that doesn't seem like the biggest trap total other than Maryland on this whole board, I don't know what is. Vanderbilt at six, I'll take the under. Taking the under, I think the schedule is tougher than last year, including a non-conference game against Kansas State. Ole Miss five and a half, my best bet under. With you, I think five is probably the best they could do. Mississippi State five and a half over. I agree. I like, I think they're a one. lot. I think they're a lot better than this, but the schedule's hard. Even though I think they're a lot better than this, I can't see them getting more than seven wins, which is probably why Vegas has this as the total. South Carolina, five and a half. I will go under. I have them at five and seven. I think they're better than they were a year ago, but the schedule's tougher. I think they will be a real contender to win this division in 2018. So that means under. Yes. BYU, eight and a half. I'm going under. Trying to remember if I had him eight and four or nine and three. I think I had him eight and four, so that means I'm I'm also going under. But man, LSU, watch out week one. BYU gets a week zero game against Portland State as a tune up. They'll have just as many fans there uh, in Houston as you will. Um, that's a danger game for LSU. Does Michigan one. play them BYU. as well or Wisconsin? Wisconsin plays them out there in Provo mm-hmm. in the middle of September. And again, that's a that's a team that because of the way that their program is built around guys on missions who are grown men, you know, it's tougher for them to match up with with athleticism than it is downhill running because their guys are fully grown men. Wisconsin's not just going to road grade them. You know what I mean? They're not. That, 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 those are guys, they got junk in the trunk. Those are fully developed men. They can stand there and take a beating. It's, where, B, when B, where BYU struggles is when they travel across the country playing against teams that spread you out and isolate you in space. That's where they have a hard time competing. Last one, Notre Dame 7.5. I'm going over. I'll tell you, I think they'll win eight games. I think I've got them at 8-4, and four, a complete reversal of last year's record. I'm with you. I'm with, I'm over there as well. All right. We'll laugh at ourselves here in about four months. So thank you for sticking with us this long. Thanks to Exile Brewing Company for sponsoring the program. For Steve, I'm John. We'll talk to you next week.